Hey, welcome to the Post Punk Mute Musicians Podcast. We're sitting here um, digitally across the uh, country here, and um, we have Brian Hurt with us now. Uh, he's a part of Vexicon and a few other bands that have been around Augusta. He now has his third release. I think this is all, uh, Brian, if you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I think this has all been released during COVID, like since we've been in this uh, pandemic. Yeah, that's correct. The first one came out just a few days after covid um, really came crashing, depending on what dates you look at. So if you'll tell us, um, actually, the four albums, if I'm remembering this correctly, the four albums that you have out right now since COVID has come about. Uh, sort of. It depends on how you look at it. The Night Gallery stuff, if that's what you mean, was recorded beforehand, but it was mastered after and released after. Right. Um, yeah, it, and, and that was released. Uh, not, oh, sorry, go oh. ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. That was released um, as a part of like a, a box set that came out with your second release. But tell us about your like three main releases that you have out now. Yeah, uh, Disaster Not was the first uh, full length. Came out. It was uh, came out last March, somewhere around the middle of the month. Nice. Yeah. Um, it took about two years to complete. When I started, I didn't really have. Um, Vexagon was primordial at the time and the songs were me figuring out how i wanted to um, express and put together what i wanted to express and put together okay. and getting the sort of the technical side of it getting a handle on that and eventually i wanted to put a bow on it be done with that and move on to something more solid or just the next thing so i um, i put it out and followed it pretty closely with the second release so that uh, must be a yeah. lot of stuff yeah yeah i was working on um some of the ideas and stuff that would wind up on winter blooms the second release before the first one came out um no cops in heaven was written november of 2019 but yeah when uh when at home in quarantine isolation um whatever i worked on winter blooms um among some other things and it came out in october and yeah the night gallery tape wound up in a box set with disaster not winter blooms and and the night gallery tape yeah yeah and now we're looking at um the third full length started it in september right before winter blooms was done and finished it i think late february yeah and that's a lot of uh, back-to-back albums released in such a short time. And I, I really think with this third album called Love is Surrender that you're uh, kind of really hitting a good mark with the, your musicianship and getting used to the technology here. So Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to listen to this. We got Acid Jock, a.k.a. Jason Walter, on What's the call. Up, yeah. uh, what's up? Nice. And we've got El Roctopus, a.k.a. Chicken Shack Studios. Rick so yeah, we're gonna sit here and actually listen to this third album or the third original album that you've released called Love is Surrender. Yeah, um, yeah this you- record is um it's based on Twin Peaks, the TV series. It really only deals with the original series and the film. Um not so much the return, although I guess that does factor in um at times, but it's it's a love letter from me to the world of Twin Peaks and also um, looking at my, I mean, the same types of um, 
personal elements that were in the previous records, looking at those through the lens of of the world of Twin Peaks and the characters. And each, each song is about an individual character in the show. Nice. Uh, so, so what's the first song? Which character is the first song then? Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer. Nice. Of course, it always starts with a clip. Yeah, you got to start with Laura Palmer. Yeah, it opens with a clip of her reading from her diary. I was um, listening to the audio version of The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. And toward the very end, um, what you hear at the very beginning of my um, record, it, it's her voice from her. It's it's uh, Cheryl Lee, the act, actor, but um, it's straight from her diary. And I considered including more context around it, but elected to to, to not do that. Um, I may expand on it at a later later date, but yeah, nice. That's, Got got to love a concept record. Yeah. Well, I hope so. Nice. Well, hey, you uh, you want to go ahead and get into this track, and we'll talk a little bit about yeah, it afterwards. Yeah, we'll too. Get into it. Yeah, the opening nice. track is the title track of the record, "Love Is Surrender." Love Is Surrender. I long to see 
I gotta say, I, I fucking love that solo that you got in there, and it kind of oh, comes. And it kind of comes. I like out, that sentiment. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, yeah. how how I'm it really... kind of comes out that dark wave, and then all of a sudden, this beam of light coming through. Very tasteful. Yeah, I, was, uh, I was pretty unsure about whether to include it or anything like it. Uh, the thought came to mind, and at first, I batted it away pretty hard. The song doesn't need a solo, and. Um, parts of it are just the i don't know some of the main ideas there just came together pretty quickly and i've, I've got to add i'm really glad i recorded that last um december or november i can't remember it was last year because january 6th this year as i think everybody here in, on this podcast knows um, i dislocated my shoulder and i'm still uh it's it's march 27th right now and i'm still recovering from that and dealing with it daily and i can't play very well so um yeah, yeah. unintentional good call yeah very good fortune so. whatever yeah nice so i gotta ask since this is the title track for the album and everything yeah, can you tell us about uh why you chose love is surrender not only for this track but kind of for the album itself sure um at the time when i 
uh, I could tell winter blooms was was done and I don't really know how to say I was, I was still uh, the, the well was not dry I wanted to keep writing even though I knew that project was finished I was um, going back through some of the Twin Peaks the later stuff in the second season and the film and I was reading reading some of the the liter the secret history of Twin Peaks and the, the journal and so forth and at that time um, just uh, personally or internal and I had been going through a, I guess a growing phase of my understanding of uh, human connection and how people relate to one another how I relate to others how they relate to me um, I mean right, right. one of the uh, the really simple but profound um, truths or whatever you'd call it that I came away with was that to when we connect with one another to become closer, we have to let more and more of our, our, our proverbial guard or uh, even uh, defense mechanisms or coping mechanisms. We have to shed those um, increasingly in order to be our true selves with one another and in our connections with each other. That makes sense. So the deeper that you love someone, the more you surrender yourself open yourself up to there's an element of of risk involved um but it's the album's not really about that the um Mm -hmm. the potential negatives that are there it's more about the uh i don't know just just the personal understanding that you're you're taking a step toward this person and uh, so is that personal emotion that you have attached to the album does it relate back to twin peace in a specific way it does um Sorry, it's I, a I, secret. I, like we can't tell anybody. You got to figure it out yourself. <laughs> no, it's it's not that. I, it's as anybody that is uh, familiar with Twin Peaks could understand. It's hard to pin down specifics at times <laughs> about the show. It is oh, yeah, of sort of opaque at times. Uh, with Laura Palmer, um, to speak about the show briefly, it really is a case where she there she did surrender a great deal of herself to some of the i'd say uh, demons in the wings around her uh partly and i'm i should throw up a giant spoiler alert for the show i'll do what i can to not um, we'll make a neon well, sign i, I feel like the- yeah just so we know worry about spoilers because i mean for us to talk about your record we're going to have to talk about twin peaks as a whole yeah, definitely. as a whole i know people have to it then if you haven't seen it, then fuck, fuck off right now and go watch it and then listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will back. say if you if you haven't finished the show, um, I advise or at least if you haven't finished the first two seasons and the film, um, wait till you're done to listen to this. Again, I don't really get into the third season very much, <laughs> but um, Laura sort of. I don't know. It's like she spreads her wings and is going to like leap off a cliff and fly, but. Uh, either her wings don't carry her or nothing is there to catch her. And the town around her, um, this really is just straight up spoiler territory, but it turns out that even though everyone was gleaning a small piece of either enjoyment or satisfaction or whatever from her, no one knew the whole story at one time. And also 
or because of that, no one was able to really understand how to help, um, whether the town was being selfish or whether it was just a, a complicated personal situation. Right. Yeah. Nice. Not sure where to go from there, but that's kind of the idea. Uh, we'll go to Jason, and I'm sure he's got a question for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've got a number of questions. So, well, first some comments, and that's uh, very sexy and very gothy. You know, uh, I really okay. like sort of like um, almost like the Byronic hero, sort of almost vampire, like brooding protagonist. Um, you know, sort of reminds me a lot of like like Wuthering Heights and a lot of just you know um, uh, basically European sort of. Uh, literature that's you know the sort of og gothic stuff so uh, I, li- I like that you do this voice and this character that reminds me a lot of like i said the um protagonist and a lot of um, gothic novels yeah, but cool. uh, uh but a, it's a great opener to the record it's a fantastic opening track um and so with it being about laura palmer and the first episode of twin peaks you know it's basically they, they keep showing that the water was the lake where she's killed and she's such the obviously the subject of that first episode, even though she's not obviously literally alive. And so is the whole record going to sort of go chronologically with the first two seasons? Are you almost like creating a record that's um, following the, um, the show in order? Yeah, that, that's a good um, observation, but um, not quite correct. It's not really a re the record is not a retelling of the show. Mm-hmm. I actually hadn't even thought of that before, but now it's really each song is a uh, each. I mean, elements of each song may span the entire show within the song, and then the next one may not. Uh, yeah, it's it's not really a chronological retelling. It's more of a seven or yeah, seven different examinations. And uh, the other thing is that I could definitely. You definitely tell there was sort of like love vibes. It felt like a lot like a genuine love song as well. Oh, absolutely. It's a lot of that was inspired by my relationship with my partner. The um the the mention of the cathode ray in the the first, I believe just the first chorus, I can't recall, is um a cath I think everybody here in this podcast knows this, but a, a cathode ray tube is what uh makes a like a box shaped television operate. It's the light in the back behind the screen. Mm-hmm. And the uh, my partner and I spend a great deal of time up in the evening after our um, children are, are asleep, um, watching just all kinds of things together. And it's, um, I mean, the different people in the show watch this meta show or show in the show called Invitation to Love. And it's sort of a reference to that, but mostly about how... Um, the evening is often a time to shed your, uh, I don't know, your guard and your inhibitions, different things. It's a time where it's easier, I think, to be vulnerable with someone. And is I this have, show? Yeah, go Sorry. ahead. Go ahead. Is the show within the show a soap opera? I couldn't, I, yeah, I remember. Which, I, is, which is funny because Twin Peaks is itself a comment on soap operas at the time. I, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is sort of like a. Um, you know, an art piece meets a just your typical soap opera. Soap opera. Totally. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much. Uh, Rick, do you want to? Uh, want to go next? Yeah, man. I'm gonna. So I'll be straightforward, everybody. I'm gonna be the odd man out here. I have never seen a single episode of Twin Peaks. So hey, that's uh, awesome. That's cool that we have a variety of voices here. Yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get to learn about the show while doing this. Uh, 
but yeah, no, I'm excited. I think it's all, it's, I think it's all going to be a, a lot. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's fun. Like, you know, like having ice cream. So I think kind of like ice cream, you scream, we all scream for scream queen. <laughs> Man, this guy. I like the really fat sense in the beginning of this one. This is pretty good, pretty cool sound.
man. I, I really think that's like my favorite track out of this whole album. But then again, I'll say that about another track that's going to come up later on on the B side. But uh, yeah, man, that's, that's fucking awesome. Thank um, you. Thank you very much. It's that haunting chorus that you got there. Dude. Uh, you kept it simple, it's catchy as hell. It's deep and it's like, it's right. It's not even when like the hit it drops. It's just whenever it like goes out into this in space and like exists. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad um, you feel that way. Thank you. <laughs> Man, yeah, really good. And uh, Rick mentioned that fat bass that came in at the beginning, and then I love how you just offset that with the really light kind of uh, reverby guitars. Like, yeah, that was another guitar moment that almost didn't happen and wound up um I, it really made the song to me yeah so i'm curious yeah. though what, what's creating the fat bass like what, what's your favorite kind of equipment to go to um i've been making synth music or whatever for three years now and i am i'm still not equipped to answer this question i apologize <laughs> That's uh, i don't have as great an understanding of um especially hardware model names and um synthesizer model names i wish i did yeah. i genuinely do i listen to people that i admire talk about what they use and it, it uh, typically goes right over my head i try to pay you know the glean what i can but i totally understand about, i drive carry all the time but not knowing what the hell kind of equipment i have or what it really <laughs> uh, the specifics of it <laughs> uh, half, half of that sound is my bass run through a uh i can get into specifics but i have a um, synthesizer pedal that it transforms your instrument into a variety of synth sounds and i, I played uh i played the part and then doubled it with a, a secondary synthesizer Nice. And it, yeah, I built the song, built the, the sound of the song around yeah. that sound. Well, that's, you have a, um, you've been playing bass for a lot longer. So that kind of makes sense that you utilize it with a, a lot of stuff that you do as well. Um, quick math, I think I've got 18 years playing bass. Nice. Through Naomi, uh, Night Gallery, um, Tone. Tone as well. That's a newer one that you, you've been yeah, playing with. Loser. Loser was a short lived band but there's a there's a demo on Bandcamp, and we played one show oh yeah nice I, just, I met gianni um the drummer from loser is a two-piece band so it's just us i met him today to give him a um shirt from this record ironically <laughs> I mean, it was pretty cool well that's that's fucking awesome he's still supporting you through these years uh, yeah he's a he's a good friend and i appreciate him and nice. his family and it was a augusta band loser uh, about what yeah what yeah era was that camp losercamp.bandcamp.com losercamp you want to hear me yelling my head off <laughs> fuck yeah everybody wants to hear that oh. yeah <laughs> uh, so. around what year was that or i guess go there find out losercamp.bandcamp go there and find out I even remember <laughs> <laughs> jason what you got yeah so as a second track you know i love that there's the uh the tempo is you know more sped up than the first track because i think that's always um the way to go with uh with storytelling you know once you basically sort of like do the beginning where you're sort of introduced to the, the story it's always great to sort of like um you know up to annie and kind of like make things make things move along uh more quickly you know by that second track because you're kind of ready you know ready for the next thing and stuff so i, I, I like that a lot 
Um, and so that line run, run while you can. So with the, with the first song, there was the, the hook that was, that was a fire, uh, fire walk with me reference. And yeah. so is run while you can also twin peaks, uh, directly no. related. Um, no, it's it, indirect. That's, it's not a quote or anything from the show. It's, um, I, I wrote it for the song. Uh, it's, this song's about Shelly Johnson. If you um, know who that is from the show, she's the um, wife of Leo Johnson. And she's, I, I guess, a, a mild, and I don't know if trigger warning is the right um, thing to say right now, but she's an abused woman. And um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about, the, about that topic. But uh, it's the theme of the song that those words and some other things that are in the lyrics is uh, written to people that don't see their value and their worth. And they wind up um, either selling themselves short uh, at best or at worst, they wind up um, in uh, just unhealthy situations, whether toxic or abusive or, or however, um, just not well matched. And uh, it's, kind of a uh, a reminder or a prod or whatever to uh, to people in relationships that um, red red flags are red flags and warning signs are warning signs and they ought to be heeded and also in a more loving way that each person is each person is beautiful and deserving of love and honestly I wrote that song with several of my peers in mind that I just it's heartbreaking to watch some situations um, evolve over time. Now, is that actress one of the, um, the she works at the diner in Twin Peaks? Yes. Is yes. she, she's one of the, uh, I mean, there's kind of like the younger waiter, waitresses and then there's like a couple older waitresses. Is she one of the older waitresses? No, she's the young one. The older one oh, is she's... normal. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So she's one of the young one. Her, uh, the act- actor's name is Madchen. I can't recall her last name, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she's the younger one, and the older one is um, involved with Big Ed early in a, in an on the side kind of way. Mm-hmm. But she, but she's not the one that um, David Lynch has like the crush on when he goes to the diner. Yeah, that that's her. That, that, that's that, her. Yeah, that, that's yeah. who the uh, song's about. That's one of my favorite scenes in the first two seasons. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's just so taken back by her, and um, you know, you get this sense that she's sort of a muse. And uh, aren't we all? Aren't we all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, post punk mute musicians podcast turned into a Twin Peaks uh, trivia marathon. <laughs> Our plan <laughs> <Sorry>, worked. <laughs> so Brian has to give us all a quiz on Twin Peaks at the end. Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fail, guys, but you know what? I'm having fun like I always do. Oh, I just got what you did. Man, that was sweet. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he does that. That's good. So what I'm here for, guys. Yeah. Got to keep it moving. There's a whole song to think about these things. <laughs> Scheming.
Well, so that is the end of side A of the tape. Uh, mm-hmm. The next song we're, we're going to is going to be side B. So I kind of want to play a game with you all, if that's okay, real quick. And then we'll definitely yeah. get into that track. I'm down. Nice. Yeah, why not? Okay. So when I say this Nintendo game series, because I, I feel like a bunch of us are big Nintendo fans in here. Uh, Confirmed. Yeah. Rick, I know you love the Pokemon series, so you, there's some Nintendo love there. Yes, sir. Anyway, uh, when I say this Nintendo game series, I want you all to give me your first, the first version that pops into your head. Like the, the first one that comes up. 
So I'm gonna say right. I'm gonna say in the game series. Pause for a second, Brian. You start, Jason, Rick, and then I'll go. But all right. So three, two, one. The Legend of Zelda. Brian. The Legend of Zelda. I mean, the original, the old cartridge. Nice, Jason. Yeah. So I mean, I I do remember playing that at some point as a child, but really for me, it's Link's Awakening. Nice. Oh man, Rick. Rick. Dude, it's got to be Ocarina of Time for me. I love the 64 version. Nice. And I'm a Link's Awakening as well. But I was going to say, if I, man, Jason really got me with that one. I love that game. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the one, that's the first one I remember like beating, going all the way through, like having very distinct memories of. And I know I played the first one as a child, but I don't have any memory of it. It really wasn't until college that I remember like, playing the first one which i fucking love but link's awakening for me is the yeah that's the that's the most nostalgia i played link's awakening the most um i don't know i guess later in childhood but early on i had a friend that had the the gold cartridge nes you know this the, the standard one and i had no idea what it was but i remember watching him play it when i was i don't know six or however old hey nice uh, my wife Lydia actually, her first experience with it was watching her brother play it too. So that's kind of oh, cool. Yeah, but Rick chose a really good one too, the Ocarina of Time, which is kind of legendary in the series now. Absolutely, it's. I think Ocarina is my favorite. I mean, Breath of the Wild is is uh, very much creeping up on uh, Ocarina, but the 3DS remake of Ocarina just is the one of the best games I've ever played. I just love it so much. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so let's go back into the music. <laughs> Thanks for playing that game with me. Yeah, um, always. Yeah. So uh, the first thing that pops into my head with always is that if there was a skating rink at, in Twin Peaks, this would be played pretty much 24 <laughs> 7. Oh, man. I don't know if you could give higher praise uh, for this song than that. Man, that's. Uh, that's I, I mean, you, you nail it with the hooks and the choruses as well, but yeah, definitely oh, getting a disc, disco-y, but more 80s disco for skating rinks. And our, yeah, you can smell good. the hairspray one way or the other. That's right. <laughs> see see the multicolored lights coming at you. So yeah, everything's fucking dark in there. It's just the, the strobe lights and everything on. Yeah, that one's, that song's about Audrey Horn. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how obvious that is. It, it may be totally <laughs> obvious, but that's, yeah. Nice. And it stands out as a single too in my book. I think that that's something you oh, can cool. make into a video or that. Uh, yeah, I think people connect to it. It's got, it's got a hell of a there, um, there may or may not be an, a, an extended version of that um, slated for the future. There you go. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some atmosphere, huh? Yeah. I uh, Once I got into the ending of that one, um, I wrote what is the whole extended edition and then wound up having to go back and kind of trim a good bit of it out because it was just getting unwieldy, mm. but it, it'll, it'll come out eventually. Sounds like interesting. Nice. Jason, what'd you think, man? Well, so Audrey Horn is definitely one of my favorite characters and twin peaks. And it, it, it's uh, funny you mentioned her because you have, have you, have you not seen the third season, Brian? Oh, I totally have. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. I've yeah, seen I heard it more than once. Her, her and her husband in the third season are, that's one of the things that stood out to me about the third season. Like, I really liked those yeah. conversations. 
Athens. Yeah, yeah. So that's a uh, great band. There's a band at Atlanta um, called. Uh, they have two names. Like the, the uh, it's TV Dinner and Stevie Dinner. Depending upon if the the Josh Hughes, who's the main guy, if he's going, if he plays solo or if he's with a band, but um, he has a song on his record called Audrey Horn, which is kind of funny. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so with okay, one one thing I really thought of with your stuff is the '80s vibes. So is that for you like your bread and butter, like growing up? Is that a total like nostalgia thing? Like what? Are you, what uh, man, <laughs> not really. It's it's not anything that I've like always um i certainly haven't always done it hexagon's the first time i've done it well not there's probably some stray demos from when i was a teenager that have some synth stuff in them but i've always loved it and from playing in um mostly just heavy bands since i was about 15 or 16 there hasn't really been a a real chance to do much with that and i've, I've done some some music just on my own under my own name that dabbles in different genres and stuff but as i got older i realized that like how much i loved post-punk and synthesizer based music and i just i really can't say what happened but it's kind of like something snapped in me <laughs> and, I, mm-hmm. and i realized wait i can just do this myself um, yeah well, some I... of it's fortune some of it's luck some of it is just it's a it's how things happen i can i don't want to make this podcast three hours long but Um, long story short the synth elements are largely can be blamed on or whatever with just what was available when i started recording um like software wise like what i could what i had access to Um, a lot of it was um the synths that you hear are things that i i was given Um, i'll get into that later Yeah. yeah we'll save that for later on get some more synth action yeah, totally. Nice, Rick. Did you have anything to add there? Um, no, Brian. But I, um, I could totally echo like um, what you were saying uh, just a second ago about kind of like, you know, being going out and trying to do a solo record. Like, you know, I, like say Jason, I did all this stuff with Jason and Adams with Boom Cocoon, and then up here in Chicago, been doing stuff on my own. And uh, yeah, man, I know, I definitely know the feeling. I know the feeling what it's like when you're trying to create something, and it really is like just you. Oh, absolutely. This is, I mean, the. He, he did it to you again, Brian. I'm really curious. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. It's beside the point, right? Just <laughs> you can't turn it off, guys. And
that fade out man i love how this is the first track on side b and but you still have it fade out like that um yeah, it's the way it needed to be to me yeah for sure and if you haven't been convinced yet that this is an album about our influenced by twin peaks the the melody line on this one alone the style that it's in should be convincing enough <laughs> yeah it's a i mean it's, it's a literal cover yeah. of a yeah, song that's, that's a- played in the show by the characters yeah, that's when the uh, the boyfriend is playing it for the two girls, right? Uh, right? Sort of. Yeah, James is playing it for Maddie and Donna. Yeah, that's such yeah. a that's such a wild, uh, such a, a not surreal scene, but you know, there, there's very few times that those first two seasons where it like it breaks into song, right? And so I feel like that. I think that's the first time yeah. I can remember that happening. But then, like, you get to season three, and it's like there's the the bar that has a band every night, and so. That's, yeah, it takes that, a totally different turn. Yeah, really. Well, it basically takes that song and does it sort of on steroids in terms of having ton, like tons of that, like at least one one per episode. And um, you know, that's one of the best things about Twin Peaks is that it's basically simultaneously uh, a radio, like David Lynch's radio station of original music, and yeah. it's obviously like a soap opera, and it's an art installation. You know, it's like it's abstract, it's multifaceted piece of art for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's honestly one of my favorite things. Uh, the, the music, you know, I've got it. I get that. I forget the name of that artist, but I think isn't that the no, that's that's not the the female led band. That's the blonde singer. That, that's Julie um, Cruz. Um, that's OK. That's that, so that song has nothing to do with Julie Cruz, though, right? No, no, no. This is okay. um, this is just between the characters. They're playing it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Do you know who wrote that? Or like Who actually has the right stuff? You know I mean, like who actually made that song? Uh, but it's a David Lynch original. It's him and now Angelo Badalamenti. Angelo, oh. um, he scores or, uh, com- he, excuse me, composes and directs all of the music for Twin Peaks. With the, uh, not that I'm butchering this, not the songs that are included, but like the um, the orchestration and so forth that accompanies yeah. the show. Mm-hmm. Angelo Badalamenti. I mean, he does the music for almost everything that david lynch does but they wrote that song together specifically for the show that's amazing that so they, they wrote those lyrics together then yeah david lynch wrote the lyrics himself that's um, amazing Angelo, i don't know if he wrote the music i assume he did david does play guitar um sometimes yeah i didn't know that oh, i didn't know that either that's really yeah, cool. yeah it's, the song is there's nothing in the song to indicate this but if you're familiar with the show it's actually it's uh the song is sort of ironic because it's about two people being it's really obvious what it's about but in the show in the scene when that is happening james the character who is singing it is facing two people both of whom he has feelings for and he's torn between and that's that's the point of the scene and the irony there or dramatic irony i should say i gotcha so it's kind of a choice of which just you is he going to go for? Yeah, it's um, just about those the feelings that arise at that age or any age, I guess, when you're in that kind of situation. True and it segues into the, the that song is a cover and it segues into the next track, which is about Donna. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. So, Jason, do you have anything more? Uh, let's go to Rick. Um yeah. yeah, yeah, Rick, what you got? 
Yeah, um, actually, I did want to ask about the next track um, before we get into it. I'm looking at the title of it, uh, Dream Casket, and it had me wondering, um, is like is like a dream casket, is that like something like, is that where like dreams go to die? Is that like the metaphor, or, is there, or am I missing the point completely on this one? It, uh, it could be. Huh. We'll have to wait and find out. Uh, you might. All right, well, guys, well, I guess we're going to fuck around and find out. Yeah. Sounds like a good point. I do like these scents. I want to say it's a lot, I'm sure.
So I'm curious as, as to how many of you right on that pause also mouth the words that knows no wind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I think this is uh, probably your most Joy Division-like piece out of oh, these. Interesting. Uh, within the vocal styling that you do and everything, you know, a little bit new order along with it, but you somehow ended up making it more goth. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I never, that comparison never crossed my mind. That's interesting to hear. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. New perspective, new perspective. Like I should say that the songs, of, it's, it's about Donna or it's kind of the song about Donna, but it, a, a lot of the, she is referring to Laura and not Donna. It's it's Donna's. Um, it's about her relationship with Laura as best friend, and yeah, that's right. That's great. Holy crap! Um, yeah, man. All right. Well, uh, were you saying something while it was playing back? Something about doubling guitaring? Yeah. Sorry, if I was, um, don't know if you could hear me over the music, but that uh, the the main synthesizer line. I actually wrote that on guitar. And the original guitar part is still in the song. If you um, if you listen to it, it's probably um, mostly masked by that synthesizer, but it's still in there. I wound mm-hmm. up laying the synth over it um, in the, the final track, as you hear. Okay. Yeah. Give uh, listeners a reason to go back, listen to this more. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Jason? So uh, and that's cool you brought up Joy Division because I was actually going to ask about um, style style as well um, or, or influences because like I um, I remember in about 2008 there was in the indie scene there was bands like Passion Pit and Empire of the Sun and I know you're a fan of Metro was it Metronomy is that how you pronounce that band um, Metro Metronomy it's uh it's that band that you covered Brian that we played on the podcast. There's an M. Uh, chromatics. Oh, maybe it's chromatics. Okay, my, my bad. I'm yeah, yeah. But that totally. band too. So, like, are, are do you were you really into that indie, like that sort of like return to '80s synth stuff in that time period, like uh, late 2000s? <laughs> I don't mean to put any put anybody off that is in into it, but uh, mostly uh, emphatically no. Uh, yeah, most of the stuff that I um, enjoy and probably subconsciously draw from is is just um from the 80s there there's some modern bands for sure that i uh that i love and i take inspiration from like drab majesty boy harsher cold cave um the list anyway it, it's there but for the most part it's um like i've, I've loved tears for fears forever um yeah it's not really from the revival i pull most of that Again, I I never sit down and and consciously try to write a song that sounds like a certain God God forbid a certain band or anything. I would never do that, but it definitely comes out sounding a certain way and sounding you know you can tell where the where the inspirations came from and so forth. So with uh, with Dark Wave though, it's my um, uh, Scott who we interviewed last week. He was he and I have been talking about like Dark Wave, which is that um, or it's like Cold Wave, Cold Wave, which is that yeah. like that Russian synth uh, stuff. And um, is that something you're really into as well? Um, into, uh, I enjoy it very much. At least, I mean, the, the vast majority of it, I enjoy, it appeals to me. Um, I should 
state. I struggle with genre names for Vexagon. Um, I don't want to pigeonhole it as a particular thing. This record definitely fits within the umbrella of like dark wave and that it, it, it fits that better than most other genre titles, but I don't want to brand Vexagon itself as a dark wave like project. Um, I feel like it can be a really limiting thing in the long run, especially, I mean, the, the, the first record is not really as cleanly um, in the, the whole dark wave category. Winter blooms kind of is, but, there's stuff um, that will be released, you know, later on that's even even farther outside the dark wave like category than than the early stuff that I put out. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy a lot of music that sounds like that for sure. Well, you're definitely in with a group that doesn't believe in or that finds it hard to pigeonhole yourself into a musical genre group. Yeah, definitely. I'm. Uh, I imagine that at some point I will. The folks that are that, that enjoy my music may not enjoy future releases as much or or vice versa or maybe there will be a return to this form properly you know years down the road who knows I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and yeah exactly well they can follow you on like vesicon.mp3 on instagram yeah totally. is, that, is that your favorite place to like throw up new material and yeah, uh, Instagram is the um, the best place to keep up with what I'm doing. Um, I post stuff on Facebook. I struggle with the platform. I find it clunky and hard to use, but I use it totally. out of um, necessity. Totally, yeah. Uh, yeah, but Instagram is um, is there. Dang. And um, actually, I, um, I respond to email, if that's a thing. The Romantic Dreams Inc. Um, at Gmail, like the, just the email that goes to through the store or whatever. I check my email before I check anything else. So if anyone does need to get in touch with me for whatever reason, that's the best way to do it. Nice. So uh, it's definitely worth it. Check out your Instagram. You've posted the pictures of this album cover, which uh, there's this uh, yeah. great model that allowed you to use her work to be able to have yeah, this Mar- awesome Margo cover. Bowl. Um, yeah. Her name is Margo and she's, um, she's very talented. I think, the, uh, the the photo is the photo on the cover is unedited. I didn't do um, anything to it at all. It is as it was when it left her hands, and nice. I'm grateful to her for allowing me to to make it a part of this record. It's really I saw it and immediately I saw it when I started working on the first song, and it captured better than I could have ever attempted the um, the atmosphere that I wanted to capture. And yeah, she was really cool about it. Very awesome, Jason. Well, Rick, Rick, go ahead, Jason. Oh, I'm I'm good. You got your stuff. All right. Well, I guess it's uh, time for another track, man. Uh, this this one's uh, it's all hap or it it is happening again. And uh, this is the second last track. I've, guys, I just kind of want to pause for a second and say, like, I've actually really enjoyed this listen through so far. Um, this is the, like this album, just like I don't know, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of your sounds, Brian. Like they do, kind of just hit me in a certain way that, like they're very groovy. It's a lot of stuff that I just I, they're great sounds and uh, stuff that people enjoy. That I really enjoy listening to, and I hope other people do. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so I find you know one of the things that, keeps, that seems to be happening again and again is I seem to be uh, just enjoying all this and singing your praises, man. So let's rock this next track. <laughs> 
what's happening. Dude, so it's like we start off with love and surrender, right? Um, you kind of giving yourself up to someone or you know a town, or so to speak, and then you kind of come to this track where it's almost like we're at the a rave at the Great Northern Hotel, and, um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you realize like the love that you had, the love that you surrender yourself for, is gone. So you, you start looking throughout this rave for this person and everything and that's the kind of imagery i get with it i i didn't intend for the i mean that i can't tell you how much i enjoy that observation Um, (laughs) good good good. all right i appreciate that i'm not babbling out just a whole bunch of gibberish i appreciate it that's man that so with this one i I could hear like some guitar scrapes and everything so you got a guitar line under the synth here as well i couldn't i was trying to see if i could pick it out but um it blends it it's, so well um, anyway I, I missed the very first part of what you said oh i'm sorry no worries my bad. During, during the song i could hear like guitar scrapes and like uh movement there too but i couldn't really hear a guitar melody is there one kind of hidden uh back in the tracks of this oh it's it's um it's there i or is it like First, plugged into the like synth was, as well? Like you're using the synth to be able to get that. Yeah, it may blend a little bit and there may be some masking going on from one to the other, but uh, there's definitely a guitar part there. It's uh, in the choruses. If you hear in our uh, 
arpeggio going up and down as I'm the, everything is falling apart. Oh, I got gotcha. that, that. That's the guitar. I got gotcha. Yeah, everything. Yeah. The rest of the song that sits in that range is a is a guitar part. So you find yourself mostly going to uh, the computer first to get a get a a beat, get something going that you can play along to, or do you kind of have you know vice versa have lines in like how often does one come before the other, the rhythm before the guitar part? Um, that's a good good question and i wish i had a better answer but there's there's really no telling from song to song it, yeah do you um, gravitate towards one to start out with or is just pretty much a gambit it i'm not even sure how to answer but i definitely don't have a um i don't start with like the same instrument for each song like love is surrender i started out with the synth sound that opens it um screen scream queen i knew that like the kind of beaten rhythm I wanted to use. But once I crafted the main like synth sound, I went from there and every, some of the songs like no cops in heaven off the last record was purely guitar. And I, was, I think there's a mm. video somewhere. Um, it may just be on my personal Instagram. I'm not sure, but it's uh, just me playing that guitar part. Cause I wrote, I wrote that just on my guitar one night when it was raining. I mean, it really just depends. Every song is, I I hope they come in to be the way that they are meant to be. Yeah, I hear you. I gotcha. Um, Jason, what's happening yeah. again? What's happening again? So uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, whenever I listen to records, I always think about um, the overall arrangement, and I really like how all the songs are placed on this album, and how this song is the um, has the fastest tempo, and it's you know we're we're steadily we're we're pretty far into the record at this point um and i you know even think a lot about like uh there's fire tag who has this theory about storytelling where like and he he's the one that sort of like has this has the uh the language like rising action and falling action and climax and uh denouement and catharsis and all that kind of stuff and i really feel like um at with this song it's the it's been the most intense because of the um the tempo being so fast that I feel like it really um, like we're, we're at the top of the the hill, you know, we're sort of like on the roller coaster. Like we're at that, you know, apex before we have, you know, uh, or even actually, I feel like we're actually, this, this part of the song is like where the roller coaster rides at its most intense. Now I think about it, it's kind of like, actually like the, when you're going super fast on the roller coaster and everything else has been like building up to this kind of point and stuff. So, I mean, uh, I guess my question is like, do you, when you when you basically put a record together are you thinking of it that way as a whole and like and or or at least is it like when you're just kind of deciding which songs goes next yeah i when i'm my greatest hope is that it things would flow in a way that is um that is what you're saying at least for this where it's it is a i mean the record is about a piece of cinema and i tried to lean into making um sounds and putting sounds together that were Brian, um, you cut, you cut i had a choice Brian. that were more cinematic than not and so yeah um it the record was i mean it was intentionally ordered but um the everything that you, you just said is really interesting to hear um the roller coaster and so forth with the rising action and yeah um it's leading toward the 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 last track, you know, which is 
that's that's really the only way that the record parallels the show is that it does end um, involving the last track is is about Agent Cooper and deals with the Red Room and some things that happen there, and that is how the second season, uh, mostly how it ends or what it what the ending is involved with. So yeah, this is kind of you hear about Bob, you hear about uh, Agent Cooper becoming Bob. I uh, say the first part of that one more time. I'm sorry. Are, are you talking about? Are you talking about the ending of season two when Agent Cooper becomes Bob? Uh, sort of, but really the entire the entire ending. Um, that that's that's certainly part of it. But um, it it's partially about the the end of the season, and I guess it realistically it's, it also includes most of the scenes in the red room where Cooper is there, and especially when he is there with Laura. Yeah, and that and that part of that second season, because I know that um, the second season uh, is kind of all over the place. Because I know they were like having a lot of guest directors, so like oh, Mike yeah. and uh, um, David Lynch kind of like take a vacation there for like you know the towards the latter end of the last season, and that's kind of when you get the storylines with like the um, <laughs> the woman with the eye patch who's like trying to seduce the teenage boy and like that kind of wackiness yeah. and stuff. But if but within. Good. Right. Oh, but but basically, when Mike Snow and um, David Lynch come back and direct, like the la- I think it's the last handful of episodes in the second season. That might be my favorite part of the whole first two se- seasons because it really goes into like like just like you said, the Red Room and stuff. But it really goes into like mythology, and you sort of like it becomes very much almost like a hero's quest, like Joseph Campbell style kind of thing. And it's just it's really fun to watch because you're just sort of like more invested, I think with those episodes than the ones previous because there's just more of a reason to sort of care because it's you know we're trying to figure out the sort of like the mystery behind all, all of, you know this this magical world and stuff so um yeah and, I, and, I, and I, that's cool I, it's cool having that connection with uh with your music with this record i think that's really awesome thanks yeah mark mark frost and david lynch um i i won't say they work better together but when they are together they're pretty untouchable um to me and if, if you want to make this podcast three hours long we can get into what happened during the second season with the directors and so forth but yeah um david left and basically things just the, the tone changed he came back and wow <laughs> yeah big finish yeah. yeah well i mean let's talk about it man i mean when when, when else I think that's the beauty of this record and the beauty of music and art and shit is, I mean, like if, if, if this isn't going to be a discussion, if this isn't going to generate discussion, what, what, what will? So, you know, go off, Absolutely. man, do your thing. No, gotcha. no limits. Well, there, uh, I'll try to keep this semi-brief, but into the, or ABC was the, the broad, I forget what you call it, but the broadcast company that was make that was, um, putting them Peak. to do this kind of thing right like yeah. they were funding they were, the... they were keeping twin peaks um or putting twin peaks on the air and when the second season started abc had a um sort of a changing of the guard up top in their ranks and either the head fellow or one of the head fellows or whoever it was that had say over over twin peaks the, the the new guy was not a fan of the show and he found the 
unresolved mist the fact that the mystery was unresolved of who killed Laura Palmer uh, he, he found it intolerable and demanded that they reveal it as soon as possible which was absolutely not the plan yeah and David, David wound up all but throwing his hands up and, and leaving he really didn't leave but he it, it, it's pretty obvious when you're watching it that the tone changes over time and it's that he was working on increasingly working on Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. which again, we could, <laughs> we could yeah. talk for quite a while about, but the record's not about that. And toward the, or the, the killer was revealed, which David, I believe was pretty brokenhearted over having to do that. And then he returned within, I can't remember which number of episodes he was involved in at the end, but like two or three at the end, he came back. And although Laura's killer had been revealed, three of us here know how much is packed into those episodes. And hopefully the remaining, Rick, I'm looking at you, will all be on the same page. There's a, it, it's really incredible how everything ends. And then there's the film, which is David kind of saying, you know, I wasn't done. Yeah. The, which the film, really, uh, Fire Walk With Me, it's badass film because yeah that that big reveal that you're talking about brian that was supposed to be like way later right they didn't want to like spoil the goods you know yeah yeah. i understand it and this i i personally find this kind of hard to believe but it's it's david lynch so whatever the from what i understand the idea is that the killer was not intended to be revealed at all yeah i remember i remember remember, uh, i remember learning about that yeah yeah, it was well, to personal yeah, goings on in the town, and which which they, they did to a point, but yeah, yeah, and that's Hollywood for you, right? I mean, it's like them thinking that like people would only care if it if this sort of like mystery was revealed, and not understanding that fans that's that's not what fans gave a shit about. Fans cared about like just the sheer like newness of that show. You know, there was nothing. It was so ahead of its time. Nothing like it at that time period, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it was revolutionized the like the serial television show. It really no, changed the format. Yeah, yeah, and especially being on network, it's just like really yeah. bizarre. You go from having you know Happy Days and Cheers, not to diminish those shows, but I mean, watch an episode of that, and then watch an episode of Twin Peaks, and they were, I believe, they were both, they were all three concurrent. Now, it, they, Twin Peaks really stood head and shoulders above. Um, a lot of things that were on at the time and yeah, also and just, anybody that tells david lynch no about pursuing an idea i don't have a long list of people um that i don't like but those people are on that list <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'll say this too and we can move on from this topic uh for this for this song though but uh you know and especially the horror element to that show because it's uh you know oh, yeah. it's it's pretty horrific, you know, and it's, you know, it's for, for primetime TV on a network a channel. I mean, I, you know, I don't I feel like, imagine. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's a, uh, that's a pretty, and obviously horror, I mean, it's like, you know, there's uh, horror movies are dime a dozen. So, but I, but I feel like Twin Peaks was really early on um, at least like the more contemporary sort of, I don't know, whatever, but yeah, it's it just pretty nuts that that it was so horrific and it was on daytime TV. Yeah. Or not daytime, primetime TV. Yeah, yeah, I think it was in the evening. But and quick note before we move on, that song is it's kind of about the giant, um, but it's really 
it's not about him. It's about his sort of um, omniscient presence in the, not, not the town as, as a geographical location, but the, the people in the town and the people he interacts with. It's sort of him seeing everything. And most of the lyrics are, I think all the lyrics are basically uh, dialogue or words that he's hearing. It's not him saying these things. He doesn't have a romantic interest in the show, but the song is pretty romantic. It's about him watching everything. Hmm. Rick, uh, you want to lead us into the next track? Or, 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 or comments. Or, yeah, and comments. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess I'm going to have to watch this TV show. Uh, I don't know. Like, hey, we're all going to have to watch it at this point. Even like, those that have seen it already, we're going to go back and yeah. watch it. Like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. So, um, but yeah, I, I guess I've been trying to look at some Wikipedia things uh, in between songs. And so I'm looking at this like Black Lodge and uh, I guess the Black Lodge, White Lodge connection sounds like pretty cool. Uh, would one of you um, Twin Peaks uh, experts maybe uh, want to get into that? real quick before i play this last song well brian definitely i would say should be the one to answer <laughs> the, um, to put you on the spot no no worries i'll keep it brief and not get into it too too much but the um the black lodge and the white lodge are foils of one another as as you can imagine but the nature of the black lodge is actually still pretty widely debated and not um, explicitly stated in the show. So there's not much I can say um, in a, with, with certainty. You can definitely, it, it's hard to, to verbalize, but Rick, when you, when you see the show, um, yeah, a lot of it is communicated purely visually and, and through sound, not necessarily through dialogue or exposition. What is the the White Lodge? Uh, is that where the Red Room? Is that where he goes when he's inside the Red Room? No, the uh, the as far as I understand, the Red Room is part of the Black Lodge. Okay, okay. Yeah, that, yeah, right. okay. I've so, done yeah. a fair amount of reading about it, and um, after seeing so much of the show and and reading the I mean the official books and then reading other things. I would assume you would might assume that I would know and have more definitive answers, but I, I don't really. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the, they don't ever show the white lodge, right? They, there's never a time in the show where someone is like in the white lodge. It's kind of just a uh, reference, right? If I'm mistaken. Yeah. I believe it's, uh, it's maybe as much an, an, an abstraction as the black yeah. lodges. Yeah. It's never really shown. It's referred to. And I'll tell you what my, I've always felt like the, that dynamic has always been sort of like a heaven and hell kind of thing. And, and of course the yeah. black lot where like the red room is like that, that, that whole part of the, the second season, uh, which is probably the most iconic and most famous, you know, uh, the backward talking and sort of all that stuff. And it's very, that's one of the most nightmarish parts of the whole series. So I would definitely feel like the black lodge is a metaphor for like the, um, the human mind when it's sort of um, at its most, uh, tense and um you know uh, uh anxious or you know what i mean just like the mind dealing with issues of any sort and i feel like um there's a poem by edgar Allan poe called el dorado and basically the poem is talking about like wanting to go to el, el dorado which is you know heaven or a paradise but basically not knowing where it is and essentially get the vibe that no one knows where it is and so i always felt that way about the um 
the White Lodge in Twin Peaks, that it's sort of, um, you know, it's this idea that I think people want heaven to be a literal pa- a, a literal place, but it's not, you know, and if you think it's a literal place and you've already fucked up, like you basically, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> but if you understand that it's a metaphor for the human mind for sort of, really like, cool. yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really cool perspective on the on the show and the. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Cool. I always try to take like a sort of uh, mythical perspective, especially with that show in terms of that stuff. But, you know, I think that's that show probably has more fan theories and like people trying to say what they think the show means than any show I've ever known about, which I think is uh, which is cool, which is cool. But it also means there's a lot of fucking dumbass, you know, just people just saying like random shit and thinking that it's. Yeah. On, on the one hand, I, re- I respect anyone's interpretation because it yeah. is so kind of broadly yeah. Yeah. able to be interpreted. But at the same time, um, I don't know. I think the creators would certainly want anyone's opinion to be welcome. And, and David Lynch is pretty strong, strongly um, not not opinionated, but he believes in. Um, letting each viewer interpret the the art as yeah. a, as they do, and I, I I appreciate that. But there yeah. there are yeah. things you can nail down definitively about the you know the, the mechanics of the the red room and the the owl cave ring and so forth. That that stuff I, I enjoy reading about that. So if you if you look into it um, online, you may stumble across some things I've said about it. Who knows? Because I've I've made some comments and Lord knows other people have to. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of that show is that it's so open to interpretation. It's, it's a lot like abstract expressionism in yeah. art and, uh, and yeah, that's, the, that's its greatest um, asset, I think. Um, and uh, you know, I, but at the same token, I think it's easy to, to like with fan theories to want to take it literally and try to basically like create a very, a very literal framework in which to sort of like, understand that show and I, and I think the show by its very nature is elusive and not meant to be sort of like uh tied up into a nice little box and you know with a bow on it absolutely sometimes they are a lot of sometimes in life and many times in the show things simply are what they are and you don't get a complete picture that you may be used to but it is what it is as it is yeah all right well let's get into this last track guys uh the Black Lodge.
just like a dream just kind of fades you out of there with that <laughs> so i i actually want to skip my turn for now and maybe go last or something because there's so much twin peak stuff like packed into this i just want you and jason to fucking go at it and, <laughs> and talk All about right. this song that would be awesome yeah. Let's let's do Rick because I feel like uh, Rick, being the second segment master, has been a little has a little been limited. So Rick, why don't you start off? Hell yeah! I mean, I I'll just speak to the music on that track. Um, I really liked um, like the uh, the really high kind of creepy. I couldn't tell if it was a synth or a guitar with a bunch of pedals, but that really high kind of creepy, like dee 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 kind of part, like that that really did it for me. Um, like, I really like that, and uh, I don't know. I kind of think that this that was like a perfect closer. The fade out was was nice. It kind of it was a it was a good close to the album. So I mean, like musically, the that that track like really um, I guess really kind of like put a nice little bow on the album. And I and I yeah, I really I really appreciate that. I thought it was a really good, really good choice. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with how it ends. All right, Jason. so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I really love how this record uh, starts off with the sort the song about Laura, and it really made me think about the first episode of Twin Peaks when basically you know they show the waterfall, they show the um, you know that was the hotel right that's sort of on that kind of mountain cliff and stuff, and I think so much of that show is about the setting. You know, like a lot of stuff takes place in the woods, and you know, the, like the landscape is almost like another character on the show and um i really feel like that first song you have is very it's more atmospheric and it's uh, a bit more spacious and it really does uh do what the first episode does with really creating a setting and a sort of landscape um and really setting the tone for the rest of the record and then that song really made me think of the last um i think two i think it's the last two episodes of the second season where um uh agent cooper goes to the um you know into the red room and stuff and it's um it, that song in particular is very surreal and it's very, um, very kind of creepy. You know, it's got such a uh, moody vibe to it that I think, which, you know, a lot, the whole record has that. But I, I feel like the first song, it's a bit more ambient and beautiful, whereas that last song is a bit more um, intense and, and uh, you know, kind of for, kind of uh, darker, I guess. But um, yeah, I really love that. That's fantastic. The way that works, I think the way it's kind of, you know, it really has such a cohesive feel as the sort of concept record in relation to Twin Peaks. And I think those, the, the opener and closer really um, seal the deal for, with that kind of equation that you've kind of set up. Do you, um, extremely kind of you. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about that before I ask my next question? Oh, uh, <laughs> the opening of the record was mostly inspired by the opening of the, of the show and the closing was, generally inspired by the uh by the ending of the second season and in some of um fire walk with me this scene with the angel in particular yeah that's really all about it i it's it's really cool that you saw that in the record yeah most definitely i mean it's uh it, like i said it, it definitely um you did a good job of making that um you know not something that's like uh it, it's very well defined um, another thing I want to talk about is the sort of, I feel like the theme of lust, you know, like you mentioned the scene, um, the, the song that uh, was the cover song and that, you know, that's kind of about like the, 
the young man trying to decide which of the two girls he wants to be with. And there was a line in, in, in Dark Lodge that I can't remember what it, what it was. Oh, it was the one about uh, the girl it was the girl in your bed, but the girl in your head. Right. Yeah. Right. He's um, referring to the, the time when um, Audrey Horn sneaks into his bed naked and then he uh, before, during and after that segment, Laura Palmer is um, all that's on his mind or most of what's on his mind. And um, yeah, that it, it, it really is kind of as, as simple as that. But Wait, so is that line? Are multiple layers. <laughs> it's, it seems like several characters, if I recall, um, express interest in Agent Cooper. So is that I, I don't think you would have trouble getting a date. <laughs> Not in Twin Peaks. No. Damn good coffee. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you yeah. wrote that, right? The one we're talking about. Um, you say that one more time. I'm sorry. So you you made it sound for a second like that rhyme, like like that line we were just talking about came from something else. I oh like, no, wait. I wrote that. It's, okay, uh, it's okay, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, totally. but, but it was kind of inspired by like the um the the love triangles in the show, basically. Yeah, just that no matter who was in front, uh, the the couple of times where a, a certain woman or person shows interest in him, um, he he kind of deflects them all in favor of his um, duty to, you know, solve this case and investigate and to seek justice. Except for Naomi Watts, though, and and Sonny Jim. So maybe not. That, that, that felt love to me. Yeah, that's getting into season three, but yeah. True. True. Yeah, yeah, definitely season two. You're right. Season two, there's like, yeah, Agent Cooper always like because even like what's Heather Graham's character is like she's in season two, right? And she seems to be like Cooper's true love, but yeah, he's sort of like, no, I gotta like do my job, Heather Graham, even though you're you know smoking hot, awesome power, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's at least approximately the truth. Yes. But and, so yeah, so, so definitely uh, that's that's a cool theme that I feel like that, that the, yeah, at least I, I, the two I didn't mean to leave you hanging. I'm, I no, 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 didn't mean to leave you hanging. It, it's definitely lust is definitely a theme um, in the show in different ways. It's not um, the show's not pornographic or even very explicit, but the um, the trouble that people get themselves into because of their desires. And the way that their desires conflict with either their moral obligations or their circumstances or whatever. Uh, that's a dynamic that David Lynch explores I, throughout almost all of his all, all of his um, his filmography a word. He, uh, it, it comes up constantly and it certainly comes up in Twin Peaks. And there's nothing that I really intentionally set out to um right as a theme throughout the record besides the show, but looking at it after you've said that, yeah, I think the theme of lust and love and desire shows up uh, in several places. Yeah. It's the thing we were talking about soap operas before. And I think that's like the biggest convention of soap operas is that like every character like jumps ship relationship wise, like, you know, at least once or twice per season or whatever, you know? So that's, so I feel like that's, you know, with Twin Peaks too, like those first two seasons, there's a lot of characters like 
you know, uh, dating different people at different points and stuff. And, um, yeah, you know, that, that's, uh, kind of this, you know, the, that, but, but granted that's a kind of slip off a convention, but then there's like the contrast of all like the, the horror and surrealism. And it just, I just love those two things together. Cause it just, you know, it's kind of almost like one division where they took sitcoms, but then like had this like dystopian kind of vibe It kind of almost like bends genres by taking a, traditional genre and then sort of a more experimental genre and then, and then bleeding them together. And I feel like that's with the lust thing to me, that's like sort of what the, um, the, to me, like I said, it's like a, it's like a soap opera, but like as an art installation opposed to just I like def- a straight. I definitely see that. That's cool. Um, my partner pointed out, uh, we were watching the pilot. I think right after Christmas, she gave me a copy of the pilot on VHS and old school i think it's right at two hours long i may be incorrect on that but no that sounds right yeah I think you're right. End, yeah she said at the end that um this show is so intricate that it takes it took the entire two hours just to lay out um the web of interpersonal relationships that are in this are you know contained in the show and who is it, it does have some elements of like who is sleeping with who and who's betraying this person or that but um thank goodness it has it's it's much deeper than that i probably wouldn't have been interested otherwise mm-hmm. but that is a it's, a it's it's an interesting it's there are many interesting layers in the department of interpersonal relationships within the show mm-hmm. yeah it's like come for the uh the sleeping around stay for the uh sort of literature you know stay for the uh the yeah, theme Depth. Sounds like we need to have some pie and coffee parties where we just stream uh, Twin Peaks. Nice. Sounds pretty sick. I've got some kombucha right now. It's really doing it for me, but I don't think that shows up in the show. I just thought about this too. So like if you were to ever perform um, this record as a, a unit, would you show like us? Uh, would you like show scenes between peaks like as a visual installation have you thought about that um i've definitely it's funny you say that i've thought about having televisions on stage when i perform like old crt cathode ray tube tvs um in different applications it would be quite an endeavor and i also drive or my partner drives a kia soul and I don't know how many televisions I could fit in the car with that, with my base stuff that I would have to have, <laughs> but whatever. Um, yeah. I've, I've thought about having some kind of visual element like that. I'm not much to look at and <laughs> the shows would, would, it would, would just be me and my base rig and, and some various pedals and stuff. So I'll have to, I'm still working that out. Thankfully shows, not thankfully, but shows aren't happening right now. So I, I have some time to, to work all that out. I should mention this is unrelated or mostly unrelated, but trivia. I figured out that I made over a hundred pots of coffee while working on this record. Wow. Holy shit. shit. So what's the, this record. what's the official coffee of uh Vexagon Studio of, of uh, Romantic Inc. Romantic Dream Studio. Romantic Dream Studio, sorry. That oh man. That information may have to stay in the vault. Ooh. <laughs> More secrets. Secret. So that's the big secret to the record is no one will ever know what the coffee that Brian drinks is. That's, that's the sort of like what was supposed to be with Laura, you know, oh, I, I, do, I, do never, have a, 
a secret blend. And it is, I, I, I kid you not, my partner can tell you. Um, yeah, and it, it will remain secret. Nice. So listeners out there, uh, get on the blogosphere, get on the, the interwebs and start start chatting. If y'all, y'all can do some sleuthing, figure out. That's the big mystery in Augusta. Is yeah. What coffee does Brian Hurt drink? There that's are that's probably um, disparate people who I have talked to about coffee who could come together and come up with the answer to that. <laughs> so it is, it is um, a few people know half the equation. Gotcha. So that's where to start y'all find those people. We won't tell you who they are, but go get, we'll make, we'll make it a prize. If you find out Brian Hurd's coffee choice of, of uh, his, his favorite coffee, then you'll win a prize on best punk musicians podcast. Mm-hmm mystery prize i love it so then thank you so much thank you so much for like uh bringing this album out and uh i really enjoyed like wanting to do this this is the coolest i yeah Yeah, and rick let's thank rick because rick this is rick's brainchild rick came up with this formula this idea so yeah rick's rick's the one to sort of like uh give the man thank you for making this happen this is this is really cool it's a teamwork thing, man. Jason keeps the questions coming. Adams provides uh, his insight. I'm just here to press play. You know? yeah, well, <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed hearing your thoughts about it. It's been really cool, especially because you haven't seen the show. That's a perspective that I really agonized over while working on it, especially toward the end. That Wondering, is this record going to land with the very small number of people that are into my music and also into Twin Peaks? And then is it going to not land well with people that don't, that don't know what Twin Peaks is or are not familiar. So it's really cool to hear your thoughts about it as it's gone by. Yeah. Well, I can tell you on my first, I listened through it uh, riding around town the other day and, you know, with that before knowing it, anything about it was related to Twin Peaks. And I can tell you like a, uh, you know, all the things are very relatable regardless of, uh, you know, what was in the show or not. Like it's definitely something that people, no matter what your, um, familiarity with the television show is kind of i think i think a lot of people can relate to the themes and like the ideas in this album it's a, it's a really really well done really well put together brian i really appreciate it thank you very much nice and, and people can definitely find this album on in multiple sources where it's on your vesica uh band camp you've got it you said you got it on spotify as well right yeah it's on as far as i know it's on all streaming platforms but it's on Bandcamp. For sure, um, the oh, cassette version, I should note, has uh, a cassette exclusive track. The opening track is not on any. Um, it, it's, it's a cassette exclusive, so no, that's There's right. A- Secrets, <laughs> twists and turns. Is it a Pizza Hell tape, or uh, what's yeah, the, um, It's the tape that I have in the Romantic Dreams store. Um, Adams manufactured the tapes, but they, um, they're, they're Vexagon tapes that came out through my, my label. They're, they're just, they're part of the, the Romantic Dreams catalog. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. And glad to be able to do the production value production, uh, for you on that. And the, the cover related really well. I love how you, um, in the tape, the J card actually has a bit of the red room, uh, the zigzag on the cover. That's so there's yeah, light I, touch to it and like handwritten I'm note. Glad and everything. We, um, we, I'm glad we 
talked about it. Anyone that doesn't know, Adams sees and hears basically everything before it sees the light of day. Um, That's the whole point of having the label is just so I can hear everything before everybody else does. <laughs> yeah, but uh, nearly every every significant step has been Adams has been aware of it in some way. I, I believe. I think that's accurate. I think. I think that is accurate. Yeah, and I appreciate being a part of that. <laughs> so I will publicly say how grateful I am that you've, oh. you've been willing to. Um, I don't know. It's just there, there is, <laughs> there has been a lot of music and a lot of visual content that has passed between us about this and other <laughs> projects and and it, uh, I hope it's not like babysitting, but. No, it's a pleasure to work with you, man. Definitely a pleasure to work with you. Um, and the stuff you put out is just fantastic. Like the cover for this album is just amazing. You've got these giant posters that are available of the album cover. Um, yeah. Shit, how, how big are those? Those are screen printed by Mod, too. Mod Inc. Yeah, or- they're uh, 19 by 25. I chose the size so that um, anyone who purchased one could easily fit them in an 18 by 24 frame with some, some basic trimming. Yeah, they're a single color print. Uh, pretty large. Every person that has seen them so far has said, wow, those are huge. Yeah, exactly. They're on, <laughs> yeah, they're printed on black stock, which I've wanted to do for a while on colored mm-hmm. paper rather than doing printing two colors on white paper. The right. whole paper is black. And um, yeah, they. I'm really happy with how they came out. Yeah, they look really fantastic. Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this and not looking at Vexicon already, do that vesicon.mp3 on instagram vesicon on bandcamp you'll see everything available there i believe is there any other places they should go i've got a couple of um, shirts left from this i put up pre-orders and i had to get order a couple extra to meet um what the shop required and so i've i've got those but it's mostly small and medium and i think i have a total of like six shirts left so oh wow it's going quick would you put that up so you post that up on Romantic Dreams uh, website. Yeah, romanticdreamsinc.bigcartel.com. There you go. Nice, man. Well, thanks again, dude. This album is fucking great. Um, any last thoughts or anything else you want to throw out there before we sign off? Yeah. Um, anybody that's listening to that, um, you are uh, to this, you are a beautiful human being and you are deserving of love. There you go. That is all. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful th- th- man. Yeah. Thanks, Brian, for letting us uh, listen and, and gush all over your record. It's, it's been an honor to, to talk to talk to you. I can't say how flattered I am. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's totally do it again uh, next time you pump something out. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm down. I'm, definitely. I'll be here. Right, man. Yeah. All right, guys. Hope y'all have a good night. <laughs> you too, Brian. Thanks again. All right, see ya.